Good morning and welcome. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, we have a swing in the uh, old environment and temperatures upon us. I know. Uh, Missouri is really showing her true colors here this week. Like, no warning, just wham. I know. It's all over the place. Frost warnings, like 24, 21 for lows, and then up in the 70s and 80s. I don't know what's going on. So... You know, I like the, uh, it's not the old wise tales. Maybe it's the farmer almanac stuff. Uh, And this really has nothing to do with that, but I think it should. Have you noticed any of the walnuts here in southwest Missouri at all? I do not have a walnut tree on my property. For real? I used to have one at my mom's house, but we don't have one on our property. So I was over uh, talking to my Uncle John. I, I went and visited him this week. And he is, you know, old school, always seasonally picks up walnuts. I know there's a lot of you out there listening that does it. I have a second thing, but I don't want to get off on a topic of that just yet. But the walnuts are very small this year. I don't know if you uh, take a chance now that I've pointed it out. You know, last several years, they've been huge. They've almost been, I don't want to say baseball size, but they're really almost like ping pong ball size right now which i don't know what that means i guess the older i get the more i think if i pay attention to mother nature she'll uh, give me some signs of what's to come maybe um but definitely a much lower yield on walnuts this year and i guess we'll just pay attention to see what the winter brings us but i have another question sarah have you ever seen have you picked up walnuts for money have you ever done that i have and it takes a lot of walnuts it takes a tremendous <laughs> amount of walnuts a lot of bending over a lot of kneeling and picking up um, have you ever used a walnut wizard, I think is what it's called. Is it that little like bucket thing that you can kind of yep. roll? Yep, roll it on the ground and it goes inside there. Have you ever got to use one? No. They're amazing. They oh, really, I really, really are. It's one of those things that um, a few, well, it's many years ago. My kids were small back then. Uh, we picked up walnuts just as kind of spare money for them. And I figured I was definitely too old to be picking up walnuts. So I went out and I sprung and I bought a couple of those. I think they were like 40 bucks a piece. Best money. Well, maybe not best money, but it definitely ranks up there with some of the best money I ever spent. So, Oh, yeah. Well, I want to kind of shift gears, but not a whole lot. But, you know, we talk about persimmons on here a lot. Did you know that Sparta has a Persimmons Day Festival? I did not know. That's local right here, and I didn't know about it. I I didn't know about it either, but I was doing some, like, community calendar stuff for the station. I typically create, like, a list of fall festivals. Mm-hmm. I came across this one. It's the Persimmons Day Festival. Actually, it is going on today from oh. uh, 9 to 6 p.m. It is at the Sparta Roller Park. That's so. not too far. That 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 would be worth the trip. We may have to put that on the list to make that happen later yes, today. Yes, it goes on until 6 p.m. Or at least that's what it says on their little flyer thing. But awesome. you can find them on uh, social media. It's Sparta Persimmons Days Festival. I definitely need to check that out because I've been looking at the persimmons. You know, we brought some in and cut them open here. It's hard to interpret, and I think it probably varies from, you know, location to location. But... The ones that we brought into the show and cut open were from Macomb, Missouri, Mm -hmm. and they had a appearance to me to be a fork. Now, Persimmons Hill Farm, which is in Lampy, Missouri. All right, that's in our area. Yep. Now, they have got a little graphic with persimmons Uh cut open, and they say it's snow. Oh, so spoon is what they're seeing. You know, I'll take it any way we can get it. I do love the snow. 
we had a run there, I think, when we first started the show. We didn't get a significant amount of snow for five years, and I complained about it every time I got a chance. Do you recall that? Yes. I know. I wore that thing out. (laughs) I'm like, stop. And then, it was last year, really, we got some significant snows. And you didn't come plow my driveway. I didn't. Uh, Shame, shame. For shame. I am in the midst of trying to get my plow stuff ready, just in case old Lampy, Missouri is correct, and we end up with snow. And I encourage you guys to do the same thing. I want to be prepared as possible. What I do not want... And everybody I talk to that's not from this area says that, you know, this was evidently a scarring event. But what I do not want is ice. So do you recall the ice storm? I do. We were out of power. Thankfully, not terribly long. I think it was like... Anywhere from like two to four days. I oh, wasn't. Oh, you were pretty fortunate. Yeah, I I can't remember how old I was, but I, I was relatively young. So that would have been Josie, my oldest daughter, was born in the middle of that. Oh gosh. We were out of power eleven days, and that was at the very end of '06 and the beginning of '07. She was born December 27th, and as I brought her home, um, we were out of power in the midst of that ice storm. So I would have been either eight or nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Makes me feel very old, Sarah. I appreciate Sorry. that. No worries. No worries. Um, however, that has sculpted a lot of us, I think, out there. And if any of you listeners out there have any insights to preparedness or how you changed your life, I would sure like to hear those stories if they could message in. But I know I stock lamp oil that I didn't stock before, lamps. Um, I got my generators fired up and going before I needed them, which is a miracle. And just trying to make sure that we're better prepared than I was before because I was not prepared before. And, you know, I always talk about, you know, getting ready for stuff. But that's probably one of the biggest things that I can remember that I shifted my mindset drastically for. Speaking of preparedness, Mm -hmm. to tie this back into the automotive industry, Mm -hmm. my family was not prepared prepared. Oh, yes. That sounded very ominous. It did. So the husband, he uh, he's in the military and he had drill Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. And on Sunday afternoon, he called me from the side of the highway. Oh, no. His tire had blown out. And so thankfully, a couple of his military buddies were actually behind him. They stopped to help him out. For sure. And he's never had a a tire blow before, Mm -hmm. which I don't know how I would respond if that if I would have been driving because that always kind of freaks me out. But it was the the back driver's side tire. Goodness. And thankfully, everybody was fine. Mm -hmm. And he was able to get his spare underneath the the vehicle and get it changed on the side of the road. He absolutely hated the little jack that was provided with his vehicle. They're so cheap and chintzy. So, yes, he told me immediately he's like i'm gonna put a different jack in my vehicle because i do not like that one and uh, his little spare was a donut Mm -hmm. he had never taken a look at it before which uh, in all fairness i haven't looked at mine either so i should probably do that Mm -hmm. and then on monday he was on his way to work actually to drop off the the baby before he went to work Mm -hmm. and he made it maybe a mile and his donut became flat Oh, my gosh. So there he was with the baby with the flat tire and no spare. 
Dang it. We were not prepared. Well, and you talk about that stuff comes in waves. I know. It's like, you know, okay, we got a a flat tire. but it And really, I have this rule of threes, and and I hope that you guys are not in that. But it seems like when I got something happen, there's two other to – and then you'll get some grace period for a while. But, yeah. Yeah, you should probably check my tires (laughs) before you leave. Probably should, just to be safe versus sorry. Yeah. Well, goodness. So he's going to go buy himself a little cheapy tire, Mm -hmm. and and then he's going to order a new spare, and then, of course, the new tire as well. A lot of times on my pickups, I go to a salvage yard, and I actually get a full-size spare instead Mm -hmm. of the donut. I'm a bigger fan of that, and I, I'd say I would do it with a car, but it'll take up probably too much room in a car. However, I can endorse a jack if we have a few moments. Mm-hmm. The jack that I go to is the Harbor Freight Aluminum. It, I believe, retails for about 90 bucks. I think it's a ton and a half, or maybe it's a two and a half ton. It is a smaller, more compact, lightweight aluminum jack. It's not an MVP jack. Those are better than the um, than the, the the ones that they issue you when you buy a vehicle as a as a uh, spare tire jack. I really like those aluminum ones. And what I do, obviously, for me, I buy them. You know, maybe a couple. They'll last me roughly two years, maybe three years, if I'm not real hard on it. But I use the living tar out of mine. But what I do with the kids is I get those as a gift. Now, they probably think I'm lame for getting them a jack. But if they're ever in the spot where Ryan's at, those little Harbor Freight aluminum jacks are well worth the money. And I would encourage you that if you ever need it or if you gift it to somebody that ever needs it, they will be very thankful. And I love giving very practical gifts. You know, we've been kind of talking about what we're going to do for our friends and family for – for Christmas this year, and that would be one on my list. I imagine I will probably buy one and gift it to somebody in my my circle of peeps, if you will, for Christmas this year. So if you're looking for that, that is one of my biggest recommendations are the Harbor Freight Aluminum Jacks. So hopefully that uh, helps somebody out there. We're going to step into a break. Uh, I do have some questions for Sarah about their tire situation we'll get into that right after this welcome back we got sarah and dustin a1 custom car care you guys had an event eventful car mishap <gasps> what situation. a mess like you things do happen in threes mm-hmm. in my family so we had had two consecutive days worth of craziness happen yes. when it comes to tires the husband had a full blowout on highway 65 on sunday Thankfully, uh, his military buddies were right behind him, so they were able to get him fixed up. Awesome. But then on Monday, when he was uh, on his way to work, taking the the baby over to my mom's house to babysit, he got a flat tire with the donut Mm. that he was driving. And thankfully, it wasn't too terribly far from the house, but he had to haul the baby out of the car and Mm. walk back uphill. Oh, goodness. I know. Had to leave the, the vehicle there until my mom could go rescue him. Man. Well, thank God for family. I know. Mom for the win. That's right. Absolutely. So I have had a lot of experience with blown out tires, mainly because when I was younger, I would buy a lot of used takeoff tires, which I figured out pretty quickly, but I was broke back then. Eh, Sometimes and still flirt with that now. But um, I found out pretty quickly, typically if they were used tires, people took them off for a reason. And so I've had a lot of blown out tires. So to the 
kind of topic of, you know, being prepared and, and life will sculpt you with experiences that hopefully you learn from and hopefully you prepare better for the next time you face that because a lot of times we do. So as I shifted from the used tire blowout extravaganza that I did in my youth, um, I no longer buy used tires or cheap tires and I no longer really sell what I would consider a cheap tire. We have some economy tires um, that I think are a little bit more budget friendly, but I don't consider them cheap tires because more often than not, you know, the the older I get, the the old adage, you buy once, you cry once, is basically sometimes you get what you pay for. So you better uh, hedge your bet, I guess, and get the very best that you can possibly can. Now, I'm not saying mortgage the farm for a set of tires, so you got, uh, you know, the very best tires, but you know, get something of value that actually has some engineering and some worth in it. Don't just buy the cheapest one and think, oh, I got a good deal. And then either you got to blow out on the side of the road or the tire didn't last a year. And you're right back in the same boat spending, uh, or I guess throwing good money after bad would be my next kind of a analogy there. However, my point in this whole ramblings here is I am to the point now that I have you know, I haven't had a blowout in a long time, knock on, you know, wood here at the at the studio. But I carry not only that aluminum jack, I carry a flashing um, caution light system with me. It's in, integrated into one of those jump boxes that I talk about quite often. But I also carry a cordless impact. And I send those and I actually, they're cheap enough now that they're dedicated that I keep one in most of our most predominant vehicles. Now, that's not to where I got like a $700 cordless impact. I have actually been able to find them refurbished for, you know, less than 200 bucks with a battery for, uh, I actually keep a DeWalt in one car and I have a Milwaukee in another car. And I carry a cordless impact with the aluminum jack because God forbid I have an issue. I am prepared to handle that very quickly and in a safe manner. And I have actually, since I started carrying that, I'm trying to think, I don't think I have changed a tire for myself since then. However, I have stopped and changed many, many tires for other people in that instance. And Sarah, I'd like your input on this. I recently had, I was going through Marionville there, you know, with the the old Hillbillies Howdy gas station there. Yep. And there was a lady in, if I remember correctly, it was probably a mid to late 2000s Ford Escape. And I could clearly see she had a flat tire and she was kind of in the middle of the entrance there by Sonic. And she was sitting there waiting on somebody to come help her. And she had AAA, which is great. I think that's awesome. But they were like 40 some minutes away um, at best. And she was real uh, skittish. I thought she did a great job. She did not open the door when I got out and approached her. I'm a fairly uh, large size fella. Uh, I'm sure that somebody like me walking up to your car as a lady is probably like, eh, I don't know. You know, I don't know this guy. And so she cracked her window and I said, hey, um, do you need some help? And that's when she told me it was like 45 minutes. And I said, well, I am an automotive technician. I work on cars every day. If you don't want help, that's fine. If you want me to change your tire, I can have you gone in just a couple minutes. And so she stayed in her car, and um, I was able to get her spare out somehow. Maybe she opened the hatch and let me wheel it down. It's been a couple months. Um, But with that jack and with that cordless impact, in probably like two minutes, I had her tire changed out, 
the impact did all the work the jack did the rest of it and she could i guess at that point see that you know my motivation was just to help her i wasn't some you know wacko crazy person um but how do you view that from a lady's point of view do you want somebody to stop and help you are you super leery you know do you have any thoughts on that should i, I have stopped and offered help i guess that would be a good place to start. Uh, well i think you're very sweet for doing that you're a good person dustin and i think that it just kind of depends on location mm-hmm. and time frame okay so for instance the only time i've ever really truly been broke down was about four forty-five in the morning oh my in a very dark place yeah and i tried to make it to a very light place mm-hmm. and unfortunately i just couldn't make it there mm-hmm. Now, I would be a little bit more weary if somebody came across me at 4.45 in the morning in a very dark place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thankfully, I had a police officer in that area. Thank you. So he was very kind. He waited with me for, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. And uh, I believe that he had a call, so he had to rush off. But I told him, you know, my, my parents are coming to rescue me so i will be safe for Uh the remainder two three minutes i was in an area that i wasn't going to to get hurt and it wasn't a tire issue but i think that i think it really does kind of matter on location and time frame if it was in the middle of the afternoon clearly in kind of a busy area definitely would not be afraid of somebody trying to take advantage of the situation but yeah i i think that most people are going to be receptive to help, especially if you come across with clear attentions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that was very nice of you to help her. Well, and a lot of times I'm in uniform when I stop and help. So that I think does hopefully lend at least some peace of mind that, hey, you know, this guy. And that's the other part. Uh, I have seen the adverse effects of it where people stop to help, but they don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. and they damage or create further issue. And so I always hate that side of it. And as complex as cars are right now, even jump-starting a car incorrectly, you know, you can have the best intentions, but when you have to get the repairs, whether you're able to do it yourself or you take it to a shop like ours, the consequences still cost if it's done incorrectly. So that's the other part of it is is having somebody, A, that, you know, has the intentions that, hey, I'd like to just help you out. I've been there. God knows I have broken down over the years. And I've had people, you know, lend me a cell phone back in the day before phones were so plentiful like they are now. Or, you know, uh, I had some uh, folks one time, I blew the front seal out of my my pickup pulling a trailer out of the transmission. And so all the tranny fluid just immediately, you know, was being pumped out on the ground. And uh, I had a lady actually stop and, and take me. It was several miles. I bet it was seven to ten miles into town to where I could at least call and get some kind of help. So, yeah, I mean, even the fact that I do this for a living, I've been in that boat and I've had the pay it forward, I guess, experience where they just said, hey, I'll get you a ride into town. That was I'll never forget that. I think I was close to Nevada, Missouri, which mm-hmm. is kind of out in the middle of not a whole lot. And so that's one of those things that, you know, you want to make sure that if you do accept help from somebody, you got to be a little, you know, careful who you accept help for and make sure that they don't create more issues than than you already have. Because not only do you got to deal with what happened, you know, initially, you got the collateral damage to the rest of it. So it's one of them deals. I, you know, I think about that and I was actually, uh, me and my boy were, I was taking him and we were dropping off a car here. And I asked him, because there was a guy walking, and you could clearly tell he was hitchhiking. 
And, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, Hey, what do you think? You know, would you ever pick up a hitchhiker? Cause I, I want to have that open discussion with him. And he, thankfully at this point in his life, he said, no, I would not, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's 13. So, um, obviously he's not picking up hitchhikers at 13, but I want him prepared for life as he gets older. And I have picked up a lot of hitchhikers over the years. Um, there's some really great folks. And then there's some folks that, have clearly made some decisions that led them to this point and they're not thinking clearly. So I do not at this point, you know, condone that for most people. If they're hitchhiking, it's probably because they have done some things, whether it's drug related or whatever, that you got to be leery and not expose yourself, even if your intentions are good. Um, I think that's pretty important. And I realize maybe we're getting out on, on the limb here a little bit, but as the seasons change and as you go through life, it shows you these lessons. And we're getting to slide into what I would consider a little bit more of a harsh living condition going through winter. You know, you look at the civilizations of old, most of them worked their entire spring, summer, and fall preparing for the adverse conditions that winter um, basically applies to all of us. So I want to make sure that, you know, Sarah and I are doing our part to make sure everybody's ready. But we're at the bottom of the hour. We're going to pick it up on the other side right after this. Welcome back, Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Card Care. I guess this is a preparedness show today. I didn't intentionally I so. make it preparedness. We but, didn't uh, have a show topic today, so we're just talking about whatever. Yeah, and I, but I think it's really important. But our third segment has turned out to be kind of questions from the listeners or interesting news segments. You have a question over there. I do. This is from Corey. So he said, hey, Sarah, I have a question for Dustin. Last, he spoke about how cars use oil in mm-hmm. newer vehicles. It doesn't necessarily have to leak out to be low. What has changed from the earlier models where back in the day, if a car, quote, used oil, that means the rings were giving out. It was being burned off in the cylinders, which I was told was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. That's a awesome, awesome question. And it could not be more. Uh, you kind of answered it, honestly, in there. So in California. California, they have started or have had it for many years, but they have what's called the CAFE standards. And a big portion of that, and just to make it very simply, when you see any of the news headlines where the government has changed the average miles per gallon fuel economy standard, um, Sarah, on your uh, Hyundai, I bet it's probably... 28 you think you get 28 miles it's a gallon? probably around there so they have continued to push it out and push it out and push it out that um I, I i'll have to look this up and maybe we'll we'll reference it at the next show but you know they want an average of 43 miles to the gallon by 2030 or something like that right so there's stepping stones along the way where you know they wanted at this point in time yours is you know late 2018 20 whatever it needs to be 28 miles to the gallon. That was their standard. So when the engineers from whoever makes the car, and you could Ford, Chevy, Dodge, whoever, says, hey, we need to get more fuel economy out of our vehicles, one of the things they did was they went to a low-tension piston ring. So I don't know how many of you out there have ever put in an installed piston ring. Sarah, have you ever installed piston rings on a piston of a gasoline engine? I have not. Okay. I kind of assume so, but we didn't, I, you know what assuming does, That's so I right. thought I would ask. 
But my point being, when I was a kid to, uh, who was the, the person that oh, sent Oh, this in? is Corey. Corey. Awesome question. My point for Corey is back in the day, the piston rings were very stout. They actually have a piston ring compressor and a piston ring installer, which is essentially the same tool. It collapses or presses all the piston rings in and recesses them into the piston. You take a, a hammer or a mallet. They make a piston installing hammer, but you drive the piston through with the installer collapsing the rings down into the cylinder bore. And if I'm nerding out too much, I'm sorry, I can't help it, nor am I going to change it. And so they were very, very stout. Like if you pushed on them, they're real thin pieces of metal, very much spring steel or spring tension. If you pushed on them, they almost will cut you. Not quite, but they were extremely stiff and they created a lot of drag. Now, the drag in this case, back in the day of, was it Corey? I will get yes. this. Corey's point is when you started burning oil, those rings were either worn out or broken. Uh, they would have a crack or a separation in them, and it would start pushing oil past or around the rings. That was very common, as well as it would um, wear out the cylinder bore. And that's why, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you would hear people talk about being bored 30 over, 40 over, 50, 60 over. Some of that was related for performance. But in this instance, most of it was because that bore was worn out and they needed to true it up or cut material, pardon me, material off to make a larger bore to make it rebuildable. That was a normal, common practice. So in this instance, we have gone to low tension piston rings. And when I tear down an engine for whatever reason, the low tension piston rings are very flimsy. They're very weak. So we basically, we won and we lost going to a low tension piston ring. We got better fuel economy, actually quite a bit better fuel economy and performance, but we also went to a flimsier, less stout separation of combustion to the crankcase and it pushes oil past the rings and over time as carbon builds up and as you burn oil or some of the poor quality fuels carbon is a byproduct and if you think about carbon think of it in the context of kind of like charcoal um, it's a very hard obviously carbon-based material and that's the root of charcoal and it sucks up a lot of the hydrocarbons or gasoline inside the combustion chamber, as well as sticks and gums up some of the piston sealing compression rings. So you'll have a compression sealing ring, you'll have an oil scraping ring, and as it continues, especially with forced induction vehicles as well, by the way, um, it pushes oil right out of the box. And I'm talking, and for a lot of you out there that think, why is he going into all this Lengthy, crazy detail. Well, it's at your benefit is why I'm going to this. Because I, if, if you're out there listening and you have a vehicle, let's say 2010 or newer, congratulations, you have an oil-burning vehicle that you bought from whoever you got it from, whoever built it, that uses oil. And if for some reason you've got one that doesn't, you have a unicorn. It's literally that rare. I'm beating this into the ground so much right now because... I see a lot of cars throughout all of our locations. I do a fair amount of service still, and it is a shocking uh, uh, rarity that I actually get a vehicle that has oil on the dipstick. And I'm not working on old clunkers. I'm working on some pretty late model vehicles, and the vehicles that come in that don't have oil in them, 
And it's not because it's leaking, which is a wonderful question here. They are burning it. So if you're out there and you can hear the sound of our voices, you need to know that if you're not checking your oil and you're running it low, you are really cutting the life out of that investment that you've got. I drive my personal vehicles, our company vehicles, um, you know, three, 400,000 miles. The truck I drove here is 355,000 miles right today. And I want you to be able to get that same life out of them. I don't want you with a noose around your neck having to go buy a car because your other one gave up on you if we could have just been more proactive on this oil thing. Sarah, am I being too uh, gloom and doom, fire and brimstone over here? No, but Corey also had a second part oh, to his question. So did I answer the first part? I think so. Okay. But this one is a is the second question. All right. Different than the first. But it, he brings up a very good point, and we... You'll probably get into it, and then we might have to take a break. But he wrote, since Biden is talking about nuclear Armageddon now, what if all of our cars were electric like they want them to be? Mm -hmm. How would all electric react with an EMP device going off or a nuclear device setting off an EMP blast? Corey, you and I need to sit down and have lunch. (laughs) That's the best questions ever, and I absolutely love them. Uh, And I'll try not to run off too far with them. I have studied EMP and how it will affect, which is electromagnetic pulse. If And there is also something called a CME. Uh, Sarah, are you familiar with a CME, what that is? Yeah. So that is a coronal mass ejection, which is essentially a solar flare from the sun. So back during the phonograph days, we actually had a coronal mass ejection hit Uh, I believe it was more over in Europe. It wasn't directed here at North America at that point, nor were the infrastructure. And if I'm wrong, somebody correct me. That's fine. I'm I'm wrong a lot and I'm okay with it. But the point of the matter is it did happen. It did hit and it actually melted all the phonograph wiring out there because it, it, it put so much energy through that. It wasn't rated to handle it. And essentially, your cars are the same thing, whether it's a CME or an EMP, they're they're one in the same as far as how it's going to affect your car, is it will absorb all that extra electricity, which is what it is. This is a little long, the, the, the theory of Tesla's wireless energy. Nikola Tesla back in the day had a a theory that he could wirelessly energize with no wires connected to your house and you could have energy without a power line, which I thought was brilliant. Um, Whether it worked or not, that's a whole nother topic, but that's how CMEs and EMPs work. And essentially our cars are big uh, receivers of that. Your cell phone, if you got a smartwatch, the bigger the item, the more it receives more of the energy. So these EV cars would absolutely and this is a guess because it's never happened, they would absorb enough energy, in my opinion, that at the minimum, they would no longer be viable and it would overload any of the circuits and they would melt. And at the maximum, in my opinion, they would probably catch fire. And I know that's an extreme analogy of this, but I believe I'm pretty accurate on what would happen. Um, I have wired things wrong over the years and induced too much electrical voltage. I have done and demanded too much electrical voltage from a motor, so I've seen the adverse effects of it. And when you get an EMP, it will absorb all of that. And there are some shielding measures, but no way to test those shielding measures. And I've installed them. I actually had a customer. She brought it in. We installed it on her Honda. It was called EMP Shield as a company. You can do your own research. I don't know that it's going to be enough 
to save, especially an all-electric vehicle, let alone internal combustion vehicle. My recommendation and the people that if that, God forbid, ever does happen, that will be on, you know, they'll instantly be at the front line where the Mercedes used to be, is anything that's old and mechanical. So any of our old Gen 1 Cummings, uh, first-gen Cummings, that are mechanically fuel-injected diesel, that thing will run through an EMP. Nothing will shut it down. So hopefully that answers his question. Um, Fantastic questions. I absolutely love it. I do a lot of research in this. But we're up against our last break. We're going to wrap the show up right after this. Welcome back. you got Sarah and Dustin. We have done a little, uh, I say we, Sarah did all the work, actually. So... Sarah found the, and is it called the Carrington event? I think this is what you were referring to in the last segment. So the Carrington event was the most intense geomagnetic storm in recorded history, peaking from 1 to 2 September 1859. I don't like the way they wrote that. September 1st (laughs) through the 2nd. (laughs) During solar cycle 10, it created strong royal displays that were reported globally and caused sparking and even fires in multiple telegrams stations. The geomagnetic storm was most likely the result of a corneal mass ejection, or a CME, from the sun colliding with the Earth's magnetic sphere. The geomagnetic storm was associated with a very bright solar flare on September 1st of 1859. It was observed and recorded independently by British astronomers, and this is the first records of a solar flare. And so I guess that's why I base my theory to Corey's question of what would happen to EV vehicles. If you had something as basic as a phonograph sparking and arcing and creating, you know, there's not a lot there to absorb a lot of energy that I believe your EV vehicles would absorb much more of that energy, as well as the fact that the speculation that Nikola Tesla had this figured out way, way back in the day that you could send energy wirelessly, because that's essentially what that CME or EMP, however you want to look at it, is doing, is possible, but we don't have the science to, or the understanding of it at this point in time, potentially that is what would happen. You would get sparking and melting and all that. This is interesting. I think it's a wonderful question. Yeah, it is very interesting. Uh, Similar events to this. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, hold on. Let me go back up here really quick. I saw something that I should have read. Okay, so a geomagnetic storm of this magnitude occurring today would cause widespread electrical disruptions, blackouts, and damage due to extended outages Mm -hmm. of the electrical power grid. Absolutely. Now, uh, a similar event happened, but it was less severe. It happened in 1921. Uh, It was comparable by some measures, and also in 1960. Mm. Both times, widespread radio disruption was reported. Absolutely. Yeah. So it really depends on whether it is a glancing blow or how big of a uh, solar flare that is kicked out by the sun. And these are natural events. This is not gloom and doom in the end of the world as we know it. I don't want to put that out there, but these are these are real things that can happen. So for our older diesel engine folks out there, like I said, that have mechanical fuel injection, the older points and condenser vehicles, there's not a lot of those left. Even some of our motorcycles, if you're out there and uh, have a magneto or a kickstart ignition system, you'd probably be in good shape. If you ever are experiencing that, there are ways to shield yourself from it. And about the only known way that I know of is called a Faraday cage. 
essentially kind of what a shipping container is. It is a sealed metal box encases and does not allow that energy to penetrate, will protect your sensitive electronics. And Sarah, you read something a minute ago that said if one did occur, we would have about a 15-minute um, notice. Was that right, Sarah? Oh, yes, I read that on the National Weather Service. And, and they, uh, let's see. The, so there was a report published in 2012 by a physicist of predictive science. And basically what he does is he does all of these different predictions okay. of like when all of these uh, different catastrophes and what their percentage is. So his predictive idea of another Carrington class storm between 2012 and 2022 was 12%. Oh, wow. So that's kind of a high mm -hmm. percentage. And I'd say the longer we go without one, you know, my speculation is the percentage goes up, up and up and up I and up. I would assume. So if we ever, and I'm going to drop a, a piece of information out there, if we ever do get um, notice that one is on the way, 15 minutes is what the National Weather Service says, essentially your microwave is the perfect Faraday cage. It's the perfect shielding event because of the way that they want to shield you from the microwaves, you know, to where it doesn't cause cancer and, and bad things. Um, any sensitive electronics, especially that have receivers in them that you want to protect, um, cell phones may or may not work. They're big receivers, so it'll probably cook them. But in theory, if you had your phone in there, it would not damage your phone. Now, the infrastructure for the cell network would probably be down. But if you had a ham radio, walkie-talkie, um, any kind of electrical devices that have any kind of a receiver in it, in theory, the way I understand it is the bigger it is, the bigger the receiver it is. So the more it will absorb that excessive electricity. So if it will fit in the microwave and you do get a 15-minute notice, you'll want to put your sensitive electronics in there. Or what a lot of tinfoil hat wearing people, and I say that with love, do is they have Faraday bags, which are a lead-lined or metallic bag. Or they build Faraday cages and they put extra radios is one of the most common things in there. But if you think about it, you know, whatever it is you want to keep and want it to work later, you probably need to have it in there. So that's just kind of uh, this question obviously spoke a lot, uh, sparked a lot of interest and a lot of things to think about. Like I said, I have installed some devices on cars. Customers actually brought them in to me. And the only company that I know that makes something, and I did quite a bit of research, is called EMP Shield. I'm not endorsed or they don't endorse. They don't even know who I am, I'm sure. Um, but essentially what that does is it uh, allows it to um, bleed electrical energy off of the electrical system of the vehicle and not allow it to be overwhelmed is what the science says. And they say they've got some military contracts and that there are some, hopefully, some military-hardened vehicles out there. I know, like I said, the older anything mechanical, like your 6x6 your six six or your deuce and a half, a lot of those are alternate fuel and mechanical-driven um, engines, so they would not be affected by any of this. So if it's really high on your radar, you need to find an older uh, mechanically-driven vehicle and find a way to shield it. If you're not you know, that concerned about it, no big deal, but at least maybe we shine some awareness on it. And if somebody else has some information we didn't cover, I would love obviously to talk about it because that pretty much taken over the show today. So what do you think, Sarah? You think this was a little crazy? I think that 
there's a lot of different things that we need to think of when it comes to electrical vehicles. Yeah. You know, the whole thought process is, oh, well, we want to save the planet. But you have to think about all of these things that you have to iron out with uh-huh. it. And this happens to be one of them. And yeah. the, I mean, my first thought was when I read that was I was thinking about the people who have bought electric vehicles uh-huh. in Florida and they have had to deal with, you know, the aftermath of Hurricane Ian and their vehicles are combusting in the middle yeah. of the road and there's tons of reports and uh, firefighters are now having to learn how to put those fires mm-hmm. out so lithium is yes. the biggest commodity i guess would be the rare metal or rare material that it goes with and it does not like salt water yeah it does not like it at all as well as you know they talk about this green 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 and the theory of electric vehicles is green But the reality of electric vehicles is not green. That's right. And the manufacturing and the mining process, and I'm not hating on miners, man. I mean, I love gold and silver just like the next guy or gal. Um, But the, the process and the technology, I guess that's been my stance on it the whole time. It is not there to go mainstream for all of us to have electric vehicles, the infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It will be at some point. But they're hiding behind this green initiative BS, and it's honestly at this point more detrimental to the environment than the internal combustion engine. I do emission analysis on a lot of combustion engines, and they have that refined to a point now to where there's not a lot of negative uh, emissions coming out of these vehicles, as well as the infrastructure is there to support them. If I have to evacuate from a hurricane or ice storm or whatever you want to put in there, I can get fuel and drive hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Now, if I have the all-new electric F-150, and everybody knows how much I love F-150s, and I'm towing any weight, there's some folks out there towing their camper with it. They can go 83 to 87 miles before they have to recharge their batteries. And Which, it's not like a, a two-minute job. No, it's 20 minutes to get to 80% on those batteries when they're depleted. It just makes no sense. As well as, it's not green. It's, it's almost like they name these bills the exact opposite of what they are. I mean, it's it, you know somebody needs to put that out there. Like, <laughs> oh, we're going to do the Inflation Reduction Act. Pfft. Let's print all this money and drive up the inflation. That's not the, that's the that's like the uh, you know the opposite world at this point in time. I just blows my mind. The green initiative. It's not green. Come on, people. So, Come on, man. Not yeah, a joke. Yes, this is crazy. How stupid do you think the American people are? Uh, you know, we're gonna see through that just because you badge it something. It's complete baloney. So I digress. I got out there a little bit. I got my voice got squeaky and all kinds of I was like, wow. Well, uh, we should probably put the soapbox away because our show is over. Yes. But (laughs) next week, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're out there in Radio Land, you have a question or comment, you can shoot us a text on our text line 417-447-5743. Or you can reach out to us on our social media. That is at 1041KSGF. Justin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. I hope you do as well. Be safe. All right. Bye.